and welcome to the latest episode of the Jaguar Report podcast and first episode in this podcast history where Dave Caldwell is not the general manager of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm your host, John Shipley. Uh, after one of the strangest uh, Sundays I, I can remember in Jaguars history, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gus Love. Gus, how you doing today, man? I'm good, John. That was quite an entrance, but uh, I'm enjoying the first brisk morning of December. It's nice and chilly here in Florida, so we take a little bit getting used to. It. I think in about three days, I'm going to be wishing that it was August, honestly, but so far, we're good. Yeah, no, I, I walked out this morning in shorts and a t-shirt, and I immediately regretted it. But man, I, I, man, it's got it's got to be that kind of intros because it's it's been. I, I've described to people who ask me what what it's like on the Jaguars beat before with does it ever get kind of boring or complacent with you know them not winning, and I say no because it never gets boring. And Sunday was another example of that, you know, in in a game where the Jaguars fielded what I think you could essentially call like a. a nearly a JV style roster of what their week one roster looked like. And Mike Lennon started at quarterback. They came within two points of beating uh, an eight and three playoff team. And that's not even the top story from the game. I mean, the top story of course is fewer than two hours after the game ended, uh, Jaguars owner Shad Khan fired general manager, Dave Caldwell. If Caldwell had stuck around for five more games, he would have been the general manager for eight full seasons. He went 39 and 87 in his time with the Jaguars. Uh, if you're counting the playoffs, which uh, I've seen some people like, why are you counting the playoffs? That, that seems like it would uh, ding them a bit. It, they won two games in the playoffs and lost one <laughs> in his tenure. So it, it actually make, makes it look better. So I, I, I'll give my opinion, but Gus, just what was your opinion to the firing? Because from, from my sense of what I was reading on social media and from some of the people I've talked to, the fan base felt, one, relieved, and two, surprised. And I think a big reason they were surprised was because it seemed like Caldwell had a, kind of had nine lives in Jacksonville, you know. He survived at least three different seasons I can think of that they probably should have fired him. So, I mean, what was your reaction? Yeah, that was basically my immediate reaction as well. I was definitely surprised just because partly because I kind of, for some reason, assumed that coaching or head coach or general manager firings are going to happen either in the bye week or the off season, even though that definitely isn't entirely accurate. And then I also would have expected Marone to get fired either before or the same time as Caldwell. So it caught me a little bit off guard that Caldwell was kind of the first to go, assuming that Marone does get terminated at some point. But it, it definitely seemed like a sigh of relief on social media. Like it was just kind of like a weight lifted off your chest almost, just because I think the majority of Jacksonville citizens and all the entire national media kind of saw this coming, but at the same time for it to like actually happen was definitely a little bit of relief for sure. And I, I think that's a big reason it happened when it did. I saw a lot of people saying, okay, why now? Like why fire him in week 12? And I wrote an article on Jaguar report yesterday, listing out the reasons why I thought it made sense. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to give them all away here because I need you to go ahead and go to the reps website and read it. But I think a big reason is that, you know, you're seeing they're now the fourth team to have a general manager opening uh, this year, which is hilarious because a lot of people are like, wait, who was the – there's four. I thought it was just Atlanta and Detroit. Bill O'Brien was still the GM of the Texans. So the Jaguars are the fourth team that are now looking for a general manager. And I think there is definite value in sending a message to the agents and the executives uh, in the football world that 
hey, this job is open and we're looking to make a change. Uh, I, I, I think the longer that Caldwell would have stayed in the position, even if they were going to fire him after the season, it would have sent more of a message of, I guess, murky answers to uh, essentially the people that you need to sell on the job. Does that make sense? Like this actually, uh, like, like I said, Caldwell has survived, you know, the 2016, 2018, 2019 seasons. Maybe candidates would have thought he was going to survive again, but now they know that Jacksonville is an available job and now they can start taking a serious interest in it. I mean, does, does that make sense or does it sound like I'm kind of just pulling it out of the air? Because when, when I thought about it, I thought that was the biggest reason that happened now. No, 100%. And I think it's more of a message to front office executives than it is the fans. Because if Con was kind of doing an apology note or like a peace offering to the fans saying like, I know that all this losing is unacceptable, it would have made much more sense for him to do it in 16 or 18 or 19 versus this season. Because this season, like we almost expected the Jaguars to lose more than any other season. And fans were embracing the tank. And so I don't think it makes sense from like that angle of a message. But in terms of like front offices and saying like we're ready for a new GM, it definitely makes a ton of sense because, as you said in your article, like it this is kind of like a fairly quiet time of year for general managers yep. just because the trade deadline is passed, and so for like this specific season, like a lot of their work is kind of sort of done, and so they can kind of start looking ahead to the next season, free agency, and the draft, and so that's why I think it definitely makes sense for the move to be made now instead of at the end of season yeah absolutely Gus I, I, I've been thinking and I was going to write something on this but I think I'll go ahead and give this take now this is going to sound like a hot take but after seeing the last 12 months unfold I have reversed course on my opinion of Shad Khan's decision to retain Caldwell and Marone at the end of the 2019 season and despite them being one in ten and despite Caldwell being fired anyways here's why over the last, uh, you know, calendar year, the Jaguars have had to do two major things uh, to clean up really on the team. They've had to clean up the cap, which was a mess because of the Bortles uh, extension, the Foles contract, and several other big contracts that didn't work out. Uh, Caldwell did a really good job of cleaning that up. By He hurt the team in 2020 by doing it, by trading away some really big names and big contracts, but he helped them in the long term by cleaning up the cap. Uh, some credit should go to him there, but on the other hand, he also had a hand in the cap being bad to begin with. But the Jaguars also had to clean up their culture issues. They had a they they had they wasn't just a fractured locker room. It was a fractured organization with Tom Coughlin at the helm. So they had to clean that up and they had to change the culture in Jacksonville. So my opinion is that if they had fired him in 2019, that would have been the least desirable job on the market because the cap was a mess, the roster was bad. The quarterback, you know, wasn't good. They had the number nine overall pick, so where are you going to get a quarterback? And the organization at locker room from top down was a fractured man. Now, I, the way I see it, I think Colin gave them a, a directive to, it's your job to clean this up, and you need to win while you're doing it. And I think they cleaned it up. The winning hasn't come, so obviously, you know, heads are going to roll. But I think in 2020, as of now, it is – significantly more appealing of a job for general managers and head coaching candidates than it would have been a year ago. And I know that might seem like a hot take to some. Uh, to a lot of people, you're saying, well, what good is there in wasting an entire season? I, I, I think if you can bring in the right uh, leadership, then it was, it was worth kind of going through this rough year and having to clean things up. Th th does that make sense? 
yeah, I honestly don't think that's a hot take at all. It's pretty insightful just because I think the it's pretty obvious that the scenario for a potential GM replacement is much better in this coming offseason than in the previous offseason. And I would say that's probably the second best GM slot for this coming up season, offseason, I mean. But it was definitely would have been near the bottom of the barrel last offseason with all, all the contracts that we had and yeah. all of the like locker room disputes and everything that you said. And I would also just add that Gardner Minshew is probably a piece of the formula just because if he didn't really scrape his way to six wins last season, then it's totally possible that that Caldwell and Marone could have been gone a year ago. And I think, I think Minshew like saved them a little bit and kind of gave them a little bit more time. But like you said, I think your point is really good and fair that the situation is much better going into this off season than last off season even though it's still losing record versus losing record. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And I, I, I think you make a good point with Minshew. And just the, the way I've looked at it is, you know, the Jaguars, they had a complete teardown offseason. So any GM that came into Jacksonville would have had to deal with a defensive end who hates the team, uh, some several big contracts, uh, figuring out how to make cap space to actually retain your few good players, a number four overall running back who – isn't a top 20, 25 running back even in the league, and an absolute albatross of a quarterback contract in Nick Foles. So I, I don't know what general manager would have looked at that and been like, hey, let's <laughs> – yeah, I want, I want to go there. You know, like for all the appeal Jacksonville may have had as a situation, I just – the more I think about it, the more I think, okay, maybe in the long term, maybe Khan actually made the right move then. And I'm not somebody who defends his uh, football actions uh, very much because, I mean, when, when you're the second fastest owner to 100 losses, there's not really much to defend. But I do think there was some actual foresight there. So I'll, I'll, I'll give them some credit there. Uh, Gus, when you, when you look at the four general manager positions that are open now, uh, it's Detroit, Houston, Atlanta, and Jacksonville. Where would you rank Jacksonville? I'll, I'll, I'll give you my answer, but where, where, where would you put them? Uh, I said earlier, I think they're the second most appealing option this offseason, and I would I would put Houston ahead of them because Jacksonville is extremely appealing and that's basically an empty canvas and whoever comes in as general manager can paint whatever the heck he wants to because there's so much cap space, so much draft capital. You can basically draft whoever you want at quarterback because even though it seems likely the Jaguars will get the number two pick, if they really wanted to, they could trade up to number one, even though that probably – would be ill-advised to give up however much draft capital that would take. And so having kind of like a clean slate and being able to build your own vision, I'm sure is something that general managers dream of. But at the same time, I think Deshaun Watson is just too good of a quarterback to not take up that opportunity. Yeah, I'm with you. I think think I'd probably – it's tough. I really do. Because I think Houston and Jackson are the top two for all the reasons you said. Houston has the most important piece in the franchise quarterback, which the Jaguars, with all of their likelihood to pick number two overall, that doesn't mean they're going to get a franchise quarterback. You know, I mean, they picked number three overall in 2014 and, in my opinion, took the least talented quarterback to be drafted in the top ten uh, in that entire decade. <laughs> I don't even think that's a hot take. I mean, but that, that's just what, what happens when you're kind of willing to dice on a quarterback versus getting a kind of a guarantee and we've we've gushed about 
Watson before in this podcast. I think he's the second best quarterback in the AFC. So I think if you're a general manager, even though they don't have a first or second round pick, I think you look at them and say, I, I can make it work there eventually. You know, I, I'd put the Jaguars second. Um, Atlanta, they, they obviously have some pieces, but I think they're going to have to make some tough decisions at quarterback, uh, even with Julio. And then Detroit, I, I do not – I think Detroit now is like Jacksonville last – what would have been last year in terms of desirability. I've seen some people say Detroit is really appealing. Um, they don't have any receivers set to be on the <laughs> roster right now in 2021. They have zero under contract. Uh, Matthew Stafford, uh, he's not only aging, but it's looking more and more like he – probably thinks that it's best for him and the Lions if he plays elsewhere. Uh, the number three overall pick, I think it's way too soon to give up on him, but he's had a horrible rookie year. They brought in a bunch of client guys that are specific for Matt Patricia's awful defensive scheme. So I just think that job's a mess completely. So I, I'd put the Jaguars right behind Houston, like you said, just because of the Sean Watson, but I, I don't think it's a wide gap. And then I put Atlanta a little bit behind Jacksonville. But I'd put the Lions. I, I'd rather be the general manager of a oh God of a Bennigans than I've been the Detroit Lions right now, man. I I I, I don't see I don't yeah. see that job. It'll definitely be interesting this offseason to see kind of what happens with Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford. It's definitely way easier to move on from Stafford from like a contract perspective than it is from Ryan. But how those teams like what direction those franchises go this offseason will be interesting to watch. But yeah, I think Watson you could say there's a small handful of quarterbacks who's been better than him this season, but I think when you ask a question like who would you rather, who would you have as your franchise quarterback that's not named Patrick Mahomes, I think Watson's the easy answer. Yeah. And so the thing is that like people will say that like the Jaguars cap situation and draft capital is so much better than the Texans, but at the same time, like that's true, but only for like the near future. Like the Texans get back like all their like first round draft picks or whatever. And we'll have a decent amount of cap space in just like two years. Yeah. And so I think the fact that you have one of the best quarterbacks in the league versus drafting, maybe someone that could be one of the best quarterbacks in the league is like, like you're, you're, you're hoping, really close, you're hoping who you draft will be as good as the Sean Watson, you know, like, like that's best case scenario. If he's anywhere close to Sean Watson, then you're happy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I know some people will probably dispute that. But, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things to like about Jacksonville's general manager position right now. I think for, for all of the complaints that people in the fan base and even in the national media have about Shad Khan's uh, maybe overpenchant for being patient, I think that is something that, while seen as a negative to some, is seen as a positive to, you know, a potential general manager candidates. They're going to see a guy who – well, one, not only throw his support uh, behind you time after time, like he did with Caldwell, but two, he'll let you run the show. I mean, that, that's just who Khan is, a, you know, a, as an owner. It showed, especially during the Tom Coughlin era, that he wants the football guys to run the Jaguars as a football team. He'll support them however he can as an owner, but he's not going to be Jerry Jones and going on the radio every day saying that Ben Benucci is as good as a practice squad wide receiver, which which <laughs> did happen today. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry Jones. That was crazy. Did, yeah, so Colin's not doing any of that, you know, so he's going to let the football guys run it, and I think that's a big appeal. Uh, I, I think when you're looking at kind of the drawbacks, the only real drawbacks I can think of is, one, 
there isn't a quarterback in place. I mean, you, you can talk all you want about how valuable the number two pick is, and it is valuable, but I would even say the same if they had the number one overall pick, obviously to a lesser degree, but just having a bona fide quarterback in place is so much different than having the potential to take one. And then I think the Jaguars, other than that, I'm not really sure what negatives there are really about the job other than having to break, um, I guess, a tradition and a pattern of losing and having to teach the roster basically how to win because nobody that's on this roster has experienced a winning season outside of the handful of guys that were on the 2017 team. And those guys only had one winning season. So it's, it's not like they've really been winners, you know? So, I mean, what, what drawbacks do you think there are to the job? Yeah, I would say that other than like not having that franchise quarterback, although you'd almost obviously you'd rather have that franchise quarterback and you'd rather Sean Watson but at the same time kind of being able to choose from a variety of different quarterbacks who have different plays could be looked at as a looked at as a positive as well because like based on who you hire as head coach too and kind of like what kind of offensive scheme you want to implement being able to kind of like have those options it can like is also a nice thing even though obviously you'd rather have someone more established yeah but the one other thing I'd say is maybe like a small market just because it isn't necessarily a negative, but there just might be uh, general managers who would rather get a job in New York or L.A. or Chicago, even though those places don't have current openings right now. Yeah, no, that's that's certainly fair. Gus, I want to ask you this. If, if you're a general manager candidate and you're looking at the Jaguars roster, who are the names that you see as the building blocks of the team moving forward, guys that – you're going to center this rebuild around and everybody else is kind of up in the air. I'll I'll give you five for me. Five for me would be DJ Chark and and no order, obviously DJ Chark, James Robinson, CJ Henderson, Miles Jack. And then dang, it says a lot about the Jaguars that number, number five is hard. I mean, LaVisca, LaVisca Chenault, who are your five? Um, I would say Miles Jack, James Robinson, DJ Chark, Josh Allen. Did you say Allen? No, I didn't say – okay, there you go. I didn't say Allen. There you There's go. So, Allen. Yeah, Allen, number five. I put Chenault Sonal, as number six. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, and then but it, Henderson would be in my top five as well. Okay, so we, we have the same top five. I think that's a decent top five to build around. I, I really do. I mean, I, I think it needs to be noted that any general manager that comes in, you're not walking into a loaded roster by any means. I've seen a lot of people say that. You know, the Jaguars have a really strong, like, foundation of roster. They have a lot of really interesting and appealing young players, but I think those are the only five. And then if you include Chenault, six players that you can bank on as, like, guys you're going to build around. And then Brandon Linder you could probably include in there, but he's not he's not really a young player, you know. So I, I, I think we probably those six. And, I mean, I mean w- would you assess that six? I mean, w- how appealing would you be as a general manager to say those are the five to six players that are your most important players right now moving forward? I'll obviously change when they get a quarterback. But. Yeah, I think those top six, I think if you take out the quarterback position, which, I mean, probably isn't really fair, but if you take out the quarterback position, then I would say Jacksonville's top five or six players for building blocks is probably better than whatever Houston has just because Houston has, like, a few aging linebackers Will Fuller is going to be a free agent. Um, they have Laramie Tunsil, who's a monster, and Bradley Roby's had a really good year. But I think I think Jacksonville's building blocks are honestly a yeah. little bit underrated. And they have plenty of, plenty of people like Shanat, we said, and Devon Hamilton and Kayvon yeah, Chase on. 
I was like, going to say, if, if Devon Hamilton played a more important position, I'd, I, 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 I would have listed him. You know, like he's he's a really good player moving forward to also build around. I think guys like Daniel Thomas also uh, fall into that category, you know. And but I, I, I'm with you. I, I think I think that's significantly better than if you look at when Caldwell got hired and listed the five best Jaguars. It was like Maurice Jones-Drew, Eugene Monroe, Cecil Shorts, Jackson Dayville, and then the guy who was scalping tickets outside. You know, I mean that that it was literally yeah. an expan- it was literally an expansion roster. So I, I think the job now is much more desirable than it was in 2013 for that reason alone. So I'm with you. Well. Gus, last thing on the, on the general manager position, do you? I I I had an article listed uh, seven general managers who I think make sense as fits. Uh, people kept asking me why I thought the Jaguars should hire Scott Pioli, and I was like, I didn't say that. I just said he made sense. <laughs> you put words in my mouth now, but wh- who do you have any names that you think make sense? Like, have you looked into it? And if you don't, like, what qualities do you think the Jaguars should look for in the next GM? I would say just like from reading like various articles and GM lists and stuff, I would say Joe Hortitz of the Ravens, Ed Dodds of the Colts and Mike Borgonzi of the Chiefs would probably be like the top three, just like universal picks. But then it's, it's pretty interesting because there's kind of like a wide variety. There's those like front office guys. And then you have Daniel Jeremiah and Lewis Riddick who are in like the networks, kind of like the modern age, Mike Malarkey. Yeah, and then you have people like Tony Khan who could obviously get pushed up as the co-owner and senior vice president of football technology and analytics, and then your guy Theo Epstein. So there's definitely a variety. I would say that um, I guess as the analytics guy at Jaguar Report, I would definitely enjoy someone that had a little bit of an analytically driven mindset. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be someone like the Sashi Brown or anything crazy like that but just someone that kind of like understands how to use analytics and just like when, like when to use it on the field and off the field would just make me really happy. I, I just want to point out that you definitely just called Mike Mayock, the modern Mike Malarkey. <laughs> or Mike Mayock. <laughs> same thing. Yeah. Not, yeah same All thing. those double M's get mixed up. Mike I'm McCarthy. Yeah, the agent no. and the coach. <laughs> No, I, I, I saw yesterday uh, a pretty high-profile agent was tweeting out during Monday Night Football, and somebody said something about Lewis Riddick being discussed as general manager, and he was like, if they do that, they'll be picking high often and hiring another GM soon. <laughs> I was just like, well, Ooh. dang, yeah. Um, I, I think the, the three names you listed make a ton of sense. People kept asking me why Ed Dodds wasn't in my article. I think if you're just listing, like, like the resumes, I think Ed Dodds has to be number one because from everything people have said, you know, he's a straight shooter. He holds people accountable. He's a great talent evaluator who scouts pro and college, but he's a top lieutenant in the Colts front office. Um, That doesn't mean the Colts would try to block something. It's just, you know, perhaps like we saw Ted Thompson block uh, Elliot Wolf from interviewing uh, with the Lions in 2016. And then they then hired Bob Quinn. And I read an article where, Ron, where uh, I think it was Bob McKinn was like Ron Wolf, the famous Packers GM and father of Elliot Wolf, like was pissed about that. So it, it, it just shows that, you know, there's not always a certainty that uh, candidates are going to be open. And uh, it does need to be reminded that the Jaguars can't talk to any candidates who are currently employed uh, by their by teams until the regular season's over. They can still talk to guys like, you know, Scott Pioli 
and uh, Tom Gamble. Uh, Tom, Ga- they, they interviewed three people for GM in 2013. Well, it seemed like three finalists, and it was Dave Caldwell, Steve Kahn, which would have been, I think, a worse hire than Caldwell. That <laughs> would have been an unmitigated disaster. And then Tom Gamble, who uh, is now in the CFL. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Gamble's name uh, come back up again. Uh, obviously, Kahn's now with the Cardinals and was saved by Kyler Murray. So he's their own <laughs> Dave Caldwell. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm with you on a lot of this, Gus. But the next thing I want to talk about is, were you surprised to see uh, that Khan, I guess, essentially told Marone and his staff that they are like they're staying in their jobs through the end of 2020. Now, of course, there's no long term implications to that, but I saw a lot of people asking, why was Caldwell fired and not Marone? Were you surprised by that? Yeah, I was definitely surprised at first just because I kind of thought that either Marone would go first or they would go at the same time. But I think it's like now that we kind of have time to think about it and look back on it, it's the smart move because we kind of went over why it's smart to kind of release Caldwell now but it's also smart to keep Marone now because you don't really want like a spark to happen for an interim head coach and then for that guy to just take over again which is what happened with Marone in 2016 he had like the spark whatever and the end of 2016 as the interim head coach it was 2016 right yeah yeah it was the end of 2016 yeah yeah and then 2017 was his first full year and so I think just kind of like having a clean slate all new coaching staff with maybe the exception of Ken McCardell as like a legacy coach or whatever makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think like people like Raheem Morris of like Atlanta kind of deserve like a little bit more time. Like he's done a really good job with the Atlanta defense and they should probably give him a little bit more of a look, but like right now, like (laughs) Jay Gruden's done like a solid job, but not great job as offensive coordinator this year. And then I think there would be, revolts in Jacksonville if Todd Wash got the interim head coach position and so I think it makes sense to kind of let it ride for the rest of the season I didn't think I'd ever hear Todd Wash interim head coach <laughs> in my life but yeah no I'm, I'm, I'm with you I think that's another big thing that you know they they don't you know you don't want somebody to create a spark but I, I also from at least conversations I've had in the last couple of days uh, there's merit to the fact that Marone it you can't say Marone's doing a good job when they're one and 10. That's ludicrous to say the team has done a good coaching job. But when you consider the fact that they're on the third quarterback, um, the starting quarterback lied about injury, they've been completely depleted by other injuries and they already have the youngest roster. I think that he's getting the most out of this roster that you probably could right now. You know, I mean, three of the last four games have been decided by four points or fewer. I mean, the only blowout was uh, Jake Luton, uh, his debacle against the Steelers. So I think think there's merit to them essentially saying uh, to Marone by not firing him that, hey, the season hasn't gone well. And, you know, maybe we can't say you've done a good job, but maybe – as of right now, not a job that deserves an in-season firing. And I also – I don't know what firing Maroon during the season would even really accomplish. You know, I think there's legit reasons to fire Caldwell because they can get a head start on that search. But I don't know what firing Maroon would have actually accomplished firing him, say, week 12. But I've said that a few times. Uh, Gus, that brings me uh, to really my next question. I guess the biggest story for the Jaguars, other than the general manager position and things moving forward, is – do you consider this the biggest decision uh, or the most pivotal moment of Shad Khan's uh, recent ownership or just his ownership in general? Because for me, I think 
this is Shad Khan's biggest moment as an owner. I think what he does next will define, uh, will help define his legacy in Jacksonville because he makes the right move at general manager and they make the right move at head coach and they select a franchise quarterback, then the Jaguars are in a better position than they've ever been, you know? So he, he can essentially erase those, that near decade of failure if he makes the right move here. If he doesn't make the right move, then he is blowing a golden opportunity to turn the Jaguars around. So I, I see it as the most pivotal point in his ownership right now. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's definitely franchise altering. And like the fact that you're most likely going to have a new general manager, head coach, and quarterback tied to in the next four or five years is franchise altering. I honestly would rank it only like a little bit above the hiring of Tom Coughlin because that definitely had a really big impact on not just like front office decision-making, but also it seemed like locker room culture and like the inability to re-sign homegrown talent. But this is definitely going to be a massive off season for Con and the Jaguars organization. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm with you. Absolutely. Well, moving past the GM talk, I'd say the biggest on-field story with the Jaguars right now, you know, it's hard to find storylines for a one in 10 team, but, the Jaguars, their quarterback position, I, I think you can officially label it a weird situation now. You know, like, <laughs> I, 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 they've started three different quarterbacks now. Uh, Mike Glennon, he wasn't good against the Browns, but he also wasn't a disaster by any means. But Doug Marone yesterday uh, declined to say really who would be starting uh, next week. I'm fully expecting Glennon to start because he didn't look like a disaster. I think it's going to be the same thing with Luden, that it's his job until he plays awful. Uh, what say you? Do you think that's what happens? And if so, do you think it's the right call to not play Minshew again? Yeah, I think Glennon deserved another or more starts because assuming that they're what they're trying to do is win, which is what uh, Marone has said over and over is their goal, then I would definitely start Glennon. And honestly, like Glennon, I thought easily – had the best quarterback performance by a Jags quarterback in the last two months and maybe the full season, even though Minshew had a, a really strong first two weeks. But, like, Glennon had 35 attempts, and he really only had, like, five inaccurate passes, I would say. And I was just, like, very pleasantly surprised by his decision-making. And maybe it's just because of the state of the Jaguars quarterbacks recently that I've been, like, shocked by Mike Glennon being able to complete <laughs> yeah. three, three passes downfield. I'm sure that's definitely part of it, but I was – I was definitely happy with his performance. Yeah, no. I think that sure. he deserves another shot against Minnesota going forward. For sure. He he didn't do anything I thought was, you know, egregiously bad, you know. Like, sure, he missed high in a few throws, but it was his first start in over a 1,000 days. I think that was going to happen regardless. But he also hit on a few really nice throws. Uh, James was honestly dropped a perfect throw on the sideline in the fourth quarter. Uh, the throw to Colin Johnson was a really good ball. I, I think where his kind of negative show up is uh, closer to the goal line just because everything he does is kind of kind of slower and more, you know, more monotonous. Uh, when that pass on that two-point conversion opened for him to scramble to the pylon, I thought there was a chance even Mike Glennon could, <laughs> could score there. But I, I think you could tell that he is just not comfortable with scrambling in any facet of the word because I've never seen somebody turn down an open like running lane quicker than right there you know just 
nope, let me let me read the field and throw into this wave of bodies. But I'm with you. I think throwing out Minshew's first couple starts, I think that's just probably the best performance the Jaguars have gotten from a quarterback. So I, I agree with you. I think if the Jaguars are trying to win, which they are, you know, for as bad as the Jaguars are right now, and for as much as people want to say they were tanking, they are trying to win right now. You know, I mean, that's that's if you talk to anybody within the organization on on the roster on the coaching staff, it's obvious that they're trying to win every Sunday. And if that's what they're trying to do, I'd imagine Glenn would be the starter. And I also think there's merit to I, – I don't want to say Gardner Minshew maybe is being punished for lying to the coaching staff because that would obviously be a big assumption. And I have nothing to back that up on, so I'm not going to say that. But I will say that I don't think him lying about his injury really helped his long-term NFL cause. Like, I, I think that's something that – could hurt him, you know, moving forward. And I think there's a very real scenario where the Jaguars trade him uh, this offseason. Gus, moving forward, um, they play the Vikings this next Sunday. Uh, the general manager conversation is still significantly more important than the Vikings game. But the Vikings game is also significantly less interesting now than it was a few months ago because Yannick Ngakwe will no longer be able to get his revenge game in. Uh, you, I really thought Jan was going to record like three and a half sacks and two force fumbles. Now the Jaguars, uh, and I also doubt we're going to see C.J. Henderson versus Justin Jefferson. So I don't think it's really a game to be excited about. But do you see any chance of them pulling out a win against the Vikings on Sunday? I, I don't think they do. I, I think they lose by 17-plus uh, points. I definitely agree. I think this – is like a little bit of a trap game for the Jaguars just because the Vikings have had two pretty close games against two not great teams in a row. Like they barely scrapped out a win against the Cowboys and the Panthers. Like if you go back in those games, the Panthers scored two defensive touchdowns and then they had like the Vikings just had a ton of turnovers and penalties against the Cowboys. So those games are honestly a lot closer than they probably should have been. And so like Nick Chubb just completely gashed the Jaguars on outside zone runs like this past weekend and I think Dalvin Dalvin Cook is gonna hurt hurt a lot of people this weekend not to mention like Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen with our like all rookie cornerback group basically so it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a long day and like like I think we said that like roughly the past couple weeks that the Jaguars would kind of hang it a little bit closer than people expect but I'm kind of feeling the opposite this week I think it'll be not as close as people might expect yeah, I, I don't think this is a good matchup for them. I, I, I thought the Packers were a decent matchup just because how bad their rushing defense is. And I thought the Browns, uh, similar for same reasons, like they have arguably the worst linebackers in the NFL. I don't think the Vikings are a good matchup at all for the Jaguars. Uh, so I, I'm with you. Well, Gus, moving forward, give me – do you have any final parting hot takes? Because – the general manager position, like I said, that's the biggest thing with the Jaguars right now. We're going to keep marching forward these next five weeks, but it kind of feels like the Jaguars have put the season on snooze and, you know, they're playing out the string because, you know, they have to. So do you have any parting hot takes? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you mine. I think the Jaguars should still assign DJ Chark to a mega extension. Uh, when I say mega, I don't mean like give him Michael Thomas money. I obviously, give him a fair market deal, but I would still pay DJ Chark a significant contract after this season because I think once they get a competent quarterback in place, I think DJ Chark will 
absolutely turn out to be one of the more dynamic receivers in the conference. So that's my hot take. Even though DJ Chark hasn't been that productive this year, I'd still pay him this offseason and, and not have to make him play in a contract year. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially for one reason is just kind of buying well on him just because he's kind of had a lot of exactly. injuries this year. And so you kind of have the opportunity to maybe pass, pay a little bit less than you would have if he had, was fully healthy and had a really productive year like he did last year. And it also is kind of just a sign to the rest of the team that you're willing to retain homegrown talent. So I, I would I would definitely like to see that happen. My hot take is that uh, Marone gets fired before the regular season ends, which I know we just spent the whole podcast saying that um, it makes sense for him to stay through the rest of the season. But I just generally do not think the next three games are going to be close at all. And so but, I think I just think the next three games are going to be really hard to watch. Does it change your hot take at all? Does it change your hot take at all that Shotgun already told him he's not getting fired during the season? That's why it's a hot take, John. <laughs> fair, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, personally, I think your J.J. Watt hot take had a little better of a chance to come true. But, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you that. That, 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 does, that is what makes it a hot take. So I'll give you that. Well, folks, you heard it here first. The Jaguar is going to lose the next three games so badly that Shotgun is going to completely <laughs> reverse course. Don't shake your head, Gus. Don't shake your head. You said it. No, I think there's definitely there's definitely a merit to it because I'm with you. I don't I don't think these next couple of games are gonna be close at all. I, I think the only game they have a chance of winning is the Bears game, but that would also be the perfect game for Nick Foles to come in for an injured Mitch Trubisky and throw four touchdowns just because it's the Jaguars. You know, like he, he never played a good game in Jacksonville otherwise, but you know, he'll play a good game here while he's with a different team. He's either going to throw four interceptions or four touchdowns. It's definitely one or the other, but it's probably more likely four touchdowns. Yeah. Just before we go, full season, the entire year watching full struggle, the Bears has made me think two things. One, it's vindicated their decision to trade him and, you know, start Gardner Minshew. Obviously, Gardner hasn't worked out, but I think Foles playing so bad has vindicated the move. And two, it has spelled out just how – awful decision it was to sign him in the first place. I think that's one of the five worst signings of that entire decade. I I, I think it's one of the worst quarterback contracts of all time. It, 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 what merit was there to sign him? You signed a bad quarterback to the biggest guaranteed deal in team history because he had won a Super Bowl and some spot starts a few years ago. Like it, just watching him play now, it is it is ludicrous to think that Tom Coughlin saw him play and thought to pay him as much money as he did. I mean, every time he plays with the with the every time he plays with the Bears, that's what that's what I think of. How did Tom Coughlin decide to give him as much money as he did? Especially when you factor in that people might say he had other suitors too. What other teams wanted to sign Nick Foles that year? Like it, it just to me, it, it's worse than the Julius Thomas signing. It's worse than the Jared Audrick signing. It's worse than Devon House. It, 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 it it's the worst signing in Jaguars free agent history, and I think it's one of the worst quarterbacks contracts ever. So. There you go. That's that's. I guess that's my parting hot take. Now that we're on the Foles conversation. Yeah. Speaking of hot takes, yeah, it was definitely an awful contract. I would definitely say it was the worst contract in Jaguars history. I I agree with that. I'd have to kind of look back over the last decade of contracts. I mean, there's been some pretty pretty egregious ones. Like when Mike Glennon signed with Chicago, that was that was pretty hey, atrocious. But they, yeah, it they was, got it was, they got as many games out of Glennon as the Jaguars did out of Foles, and he got paid less. Boom. Want to make your own podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily. 
then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. Nick Foles, awesome guy, awesome guy. Just the decision to sign him. That my criticisms, my criticisms more at Tom Coughlin and Nick Foles. Yeah, my, my criticisms is way more on Tom Coughlin. That was just I, I don't know if any executives made as bad back-to-back quarterback decisions as Tom Coughlin did on Blake Bortles and Nick Foles. But that's a conversation for a different day. The uh, Jaguars now, Gus, are moving toward a uh, new future, and it it definitely it definitely feels it it just feels different right now. I mean, would you say that because like you said, people expected for Caldwell to be fired, but I think there was also a sense of not believing it until they got seen and not believing the Jaguars would make a change until they got seen. So I, I, I just think it's kind of a – it's a feeling of change in Jacksonville moving forward. So that's my part in it. How about – you got anything left to say? Yeah. I'll just say as a nerdy analogy. It was dark times for a while, but we got a new hope now. A lot of sigh, sigh of relief, as you said. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, you guys heard it here for first. New hope says Gus, but he also says they'll be so bad over the next month. Shock on the fire the coach. Well, thank thank you. Thank you guys for Come listening. On, <laughs> thank you guys for listening as always. Uh, Gus and I appreciate it. You can follow me at underscore John underscore Shipley. I realize there are two underscores. Take it up with the other John Shipley on Twitter. And you can follow Jaguar Report at Jaguar Report or si.com slash Jaguars. Gus, go ahead and give him your Twitter out and get us out of here. As always, one underscore for me, it's Gus underscore Logue on Twitter.com. All right. Thanks, guys, and we'll see you all next time.